should have just said the game plan should be just give me the damn ball. And I mean, hey, <laughs> I had a position coach, Coach Jeff Lewis, God rest his soul, man. He told me to do that. He said, hey, Tristan, <laughs> you need to go up and say, hey, I love it. You I want love the it. ball more, you know, but, you know, I, I wasn't that guy, man. I wanted to do whatever was going to help the team, man. By Trent Guy. Trent Guy turns the corner. Guy breaks a tackle. Now for the end zone. Touchdown. We're on a collision course with the national championship and only variable is time. Welcome into From the Pink Seats podcast, another edition of Where Are They Now? And we are super excited to keep this show moving along. We, we try each week to kind of outdo ourselves with a guest. And I'm not saying that any player is better than any other player, but it is great to go from having a legendary kicker, a legendary defensive end, to now talking to one of the most dynamic uh, returners in the history of the program, that being Trent Guy. Jacob Lane, Vincent Lococo, just us two tonight on From the Pink Seats podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. This is a very special episode, as I mentioned, because uh, this is the guy that when we kind of planned the show, it's the concept of a guy like Trent, who has a dynamic career at Louisville, uh, has a very interesting story, not only on the field, but also some elements off the field, has a, a very interesting professional career. And now everyone uh, has, you know, he's gone on to his adult life. He's got kids, he's married, he's stepped away from football. Uh, and you lose perspective of the greatness. And so tonight's all about stepping back into that uh, and talking to Trent, as I mentioned, one of the most dynamic punt returners. Now, Vince, I'm really interested in your perspective on this because you got to play with a, another North Carolina guy who is very similar just overall. I mean, I know he plays cornerback, but very similar in just the swag, the skill level, and was a dynamic punt returner, kickoff returner, and Jair Alexander. And let me ask you this. Is there any, when you're, when you're a Louisville player, is there any perspective that you all get on past legends and greats? Like does Jair Alexander come into the program knowing about Trent guy? Like, does that happen? And you see this kind of tutelage or this, this torch pass from generation to generation. So for me, I get it for sure. If you grow up in Louisville or you grew up a Louisville fan in any shape, form or capacity, you know who Trent guy is 100%. And you best believe that a guy like Jair Alexander, whenever he gets on campus, and, you know, starts watching film and seeing these punt returns and kick returns that Bobby wants him to run. The best person to watch is Trent Guy every time for that. And, uh, you know, Jacob, you mentioned it was it's you mentioned it on multiple shows. Like, it's just so cool to connect with these older players that came before me, guys that I grew up watching, wanting to be like, Lord knows I couldn't go back there and, you know, return kicks or punts. I was too fat and slow for that. But I mean, just the swagger, the uh, the pride that guys like this have, excuse me, and beating Kentucky. I mean, that's like one of my favorite things that uh, I told Trent, like about that generation of guys is they took just such a great pride in that game and in that rivalry. It was it was cool. And I mean, I appreciate him even just staying on after us, after we were done recording, chatting with us for another 20 minutes, whenever he didn't have to do that for both of us, Jacob, that's one of the dudes that, you know, that's one of our childhood players for sure all day. And uh, it was a sweet interview and I, I'm glad, glad we got this opportunity for sure. We said when we were going to do this show, we wanted to talk to every era of Louisville football, right? The good, the bad. And this is a bad era of Louisville football with Steve Cragthorpe, right? You talk about 2007, 
2008, 2009, just nosedive for the program after the highs of 20, uh, 2006, which for this show, Trent is going to talk about that. The, the highs of coming in as a freshman, playing in a spread offense with an offensive genius to going to play for a guy who simply just didn't have the wherewithal to coach a program of this magnitude. But also Trent has a lot of things, both professionally that happened with playing in the NFL, the CFL, and as I mentioned, off the field, you know, I, I know that that's not a storyline that we want to dive into and talk about it in depth. But uh, obviously, in this offseason heading into 2008, Trent was shot during the offseason and had to recover from that. And Vince, your perspective of being around those guys in 2016 with that happening is very fascinating because that's not something, one, that happens. It, of course, you don't want that happening often, but no. um, it, it is something that you can relate to. And for somebody like Trent, got to feel the love of the city, got to feel the love of the fan base um, as he came back from that and, and ultimately overcame it. Um, and, and so that's a, an interesting story, one of the many that you're going to hear on this podcast tonight. And, um, and one one thing for me, Jacob, like, yeah, there's just been this disconnect with these guys. We've talked about it a little bit on the show of, you know, guys from that Bobby 1.0, Crackthorpe uh, era, Strong era, who over the past however many years have just felt disconnected and like what, not that what they haven't, what they've done on the field, like didn't matter what they felt is how they're feeling. It's just they're, they're not feeling the love. And for us to be able to just talk to these guys and give them a platform again and to talk about their time at Louisville like that is you know one of the reasons I love doing this show is just to be able to talk to them about their time at Louisville what I mean like Trent what, what the hell is going through your head whenever you're catching a punt punt return like that's something neither you or I is ever going to experience in a high intense situation it's just it's a great conversation he's an unbelievable person to be around I can only imagine how he was as a teammate so uh hope you guys enjoy this yeah, absolutely. Uh, and just to put it in perspective for you, uh, the numbers don't jump off the page when you talk about Trent Guy. I mean, don't get me wrong. His impact was felt m- majority of the time on special teams. But as a receiver, 43 receptions, 722 yards, five touchdowns over his career, carried the ball 19 times for 244 yards as a rusher. Uh, and then as a punt and kick return, he had five uh, total touchdowns, two kick returns, three punt returns over the course of his career. He was a guy that you put the ball in his hands and it was going to be electrifying. Put him in any other era of Louisville football, and he is a star, dynamic game changer. It's unfortunate. We kind of talked about that a little bit. So uh, just just a lot here, man. It's it's just another episode that's got a lot of information and a lot of fun facts for Louisville football fans. Uh, And hopefully we'll continue to build the excitement for a guy that was his quarterback, is now our quarterback coach and offensive coordinator, and uh, his offensive coordinator is now our head coach. So... A lot of, lot of storylines here, and it just continues to get more and more fascinating each week. From the Pink Seeds Podcast, anywhere you get your shows from, subscribe to the YouTube channel at the State of Louisville. Then so let's go ahead, let's jump in and welcome Trent Guy into the show. Prolific player, big career, big highlights, guy that Louisville fans haven't heard from in a long time. And I am extremely excited for this episode because we get to sit down with Trent and talk about Louisville football and talk about what he's been up to. This is what it's all about here on Where Are They Now? So Trent Guy, welcome into From the Pink Seats podcast, man. It is great to get to talk to you. How are you? What is life like for you? Give me just a, a quick synopsis of how you are, and then we'll jump into talking about some football. Great. Thanks, Jake. I appreciate it, Vince. Appreciate you guys having me on, man. Uh, life has been a blessing for me, man. After football, during football, you know, uh, I'm living down in Florida now. 
Uh, I have a beautiful wife, three children, uh, just enjoying life, man, working with kids, coaching. So, you know, I can't complain. It's a blessing. Vince, when we talk about Louisville football, and we talked a little bit about this in the intro, you got to play with some great punt returners. You also played in a really weird era where there was a linebacker <laughs> yeah, returning we'll punts. Yeah, sure. <laughs> we will definitely get to ask you about linebackers returning punts. But you lived in an era with Jair Alexander here. Obviously, you were here, uh, you know, as a fan and as a high school player, Corvin Lamb. You know, there's been returners. There's been guys that have really come through this program. Trent Guy is a true story of what it's like to play for Louisville football in terms of playing with a swagger, playing with a chip on your shoulder, being explosive, being fun to watch, and then celebrating and talking some shit in your face after he does so. And so I know we're both excited to to dive into this. And so, Trent, I wanted to talk about just looking early on at your career at Louisville. You came in, um, obviously, in the prime of the Bobby Petrino era, really the end of the Bobby Mm -hmm. Petrino era, which is a whole concept to get into of itself. But you come into a a wide receiver room, man, that's Harry Douglas, Mario Uridia, Juwan Spillman, Broderick Clark, Tiger Jones, Josh Tinch. I mean, you're talking about legends on legends on legends. Studs all over the place. Louisville fans have been just dreaming of wide receiver rooms like that for a while. But you come in and it was obviously an uphill battle for you to get onto the field with that many players. But just tell me a little bit about what it was like behind the scenes as a freshman, just trying to get onto the field, right? For Louisville fans right now, these Flyville 23 kids are coming in, they're getting paid, they're coming in and yours high expectation. What's the mentality of getting on the field? Tell me what that looks like for somebody like yourself. Right. Like you said, man, I, I, the moment I stepped on Louisville campus, man, we had a receiver room full of studs, man. You, you Like you said, you had Joshua Tense, Montreal Jones, Broderick Clark, Harry Douglas, which is probably one of the best receivers to play in Louisville history. Don't forget Mario Uruti, a Louisville guy. Mm-hmm. Patrick Carter, my brother from North Carolina, Scott Long, he came in as a freshman with me. Wow. Man, that receiver room was, hey, it was studs in that room, man. I, You know, um, and, and all those guys were about competing in competition, man, like uh, to even – uh, be considered to get reps in practice was tough, man. You had to bring your A game every day. But the good thing about it is, like, you, we had that good uh, core group of veteran guys that, you know, you got to learn how to work from, learn how to practice, understood the tempo of the game and what it meant to be in a Bobby Petrino offense, man. Like, coming from high school and going into the collegiate level and understanding the speed of the game when you was in a Bobby Petrino practice, man, it, it just blew my mind. So, uh, but but we came to work every day, man, and that, that made me uh, – grind harder and work harder and, you know, earn my spot and earn my keep where I need to be. So. So, so Trent coach, coach P puts a, a thick ass install one in front of you. As a <laughs> freshman. Man. What, how did you learn this? How did you, how did you, how did you get it down? I mean, I yeah, you had the vets line you up and stuff, I'm sure with some right. health and everything, but I mean, Look, I saw I, the install one and I, I, I mean, I didn't quiver, but I was definitely intimidated. My head was spinning, man. I, I tell guys to this day, Bobby's offensive playbook was probably more complex than my playbooks in the league, man. Those things were thick. And I cre- I give credit to him and Paul. Uh, they taught me football. They taught me what it meant to be a football player. They taught me offense. They taught me how to read defenses. They taught me how to break my routes off and all that stuff. So it was extremely complex. But uh, like you said, you, you in a Bobby Petrino offense, you either get it right or you get gone. So you had to figure those things out <laughs> real quick. So Yeah, I'm sure you had a young guy's practice where – Oh, look, so, you know, you have the young guys practice. The young guys go out an hour earlier. You know, I'm, I'm coming from high school. I'm a stud. I'm thinking I'm the man. I get out there. The first thing they do, you know, we warm up. The second thing we do, Paul puts us on the jugs machine. 
So this is my first time catching off a jug machine. And the, he's freaking flying these things, like shooting them, shooting them. And we're just, boom, getting hit in the helmet. Uh, uh, your helmets get marked up from the football. And I'm looking like, man, I know I can't be that bad at catching. Like, I've caught balls my entire life. Like, what's going on? And you can, just see, you can just see Paul smirking, like laughing, laughing. So we get to the vet's practice. The vets come out, get on the drugs machine. They start catching the ball easily. And I'm like, it's no way. Like, it, it doesn't take that much practice. Come to find out Paul had the damn machine on 100. Uh, he so it, was a, it, it was a bit of freshman hazing. So, they, they're, <laughs> they, they, you know, the vets come out and they're cracking up. It's like, oh, he got you guys, huh? You guys thought you, you know, you couldn't catch. You know, he had, he had that thing on full blast, man. So, that's oh, one man. crazy story I had about Paul. I'm like, dude, man, you could have broke a finger. We could ask some guys out on the first day of practice, man. But you know, it's it's all it's all good, man. It, it taught us how to be tough, so it, it's all good. That that takes the man hands drill that Odell does to like a whole For sure. a whole different level. Of, For sure, man. Yeah. I just I was like, man, I can't be this bad at catching, but you know, we we got to, you know, we understood after the fact. When we, we're going to talk about this throughout, a lot throughout the show. It's going to be kind of the theme of our interview here, but it's the punt return and kick returns. When did you feel like, okay, I've got the ability to be a punt returner and a kick returner? Like trying to think back on time, Devin Hester is probably about your age. So you guys, yeah. it's not He's like you're like, older, look, yeah. man, what are you, yeah, Dante, I, Donta Hall? Like who are Dante you Dante Hall, up? that was my favorite guy. That was my one of my favorite players ever. Of course, I'm a smaller guy. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm, a, I'm, I'm biased towards the smaller guys. Dante Hall, Steve Smith, of course, Deion Brett's great little player, great NFL player. So I'm biased to those guys. But growing up, I was always considered a track guy because I'm smaller. So I was pretty fast. So everybody's always said, you know, when you play football, prime time is the guy when he's back there returning. He's a, he's a fast guy. So you have to return punts and kicks because you're fast. The only thing you have to do is catch the ball and, you know, everything else happens itself. Oh, that, so I kind of pick it. that up. Yeah, just catch the ball. You know what I mean? That's the main thing, which is, I mean, that's nerve-wracking in itself, being the only guy out in the middle of the field with a guy hanging a punt up with defenders running four fours, four threes down, to, you know, to come hit you. But um, in high school – uh, I only played used two years of high school ball in high school, uh, started returning punts as a junior and caught the ball in average 40 yards of punt and kick return. And it was history from there. So it's like I, that. I, I had a niche for it. Man. Like I that, man. He just comes out the wind, catch it, punt return. But, all right. So you go to catch it, right? Uh huh. Obviously, you got to watch the ball come in. But like where as soon as you go to look down to run, where are your eyes going? Are you like, so, to me, that's an oh yeah. shit moment. So, so here's the thing, back there at punt returner, the main thing is to see the ball off the foot of the punter. You know, you have to understand that. And I mean, you, you also have to understand who the punter is. If it's a guy that's going to drive the ball, if he's going to hang the ball, if he can hang and drive it, you'll, you'll understand that by going through the scouting report. You also have to have a scout report on the punter. Guys don't know that, but you should. You see the ball off the foot. I'll take one peek at the gunners. If I know that my guys on the outside has gotten at least one hand on the guy, then I know I got time to catch the ball. So I'm going to focus on that, making that catch, and then instincts can kick in from there. I catch that thing, and my main thing is not to get, you know, get strokes. So I'm trying to get out of there. So uh, a lot of times you guys – Did y'all do the wall return? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, um, 
our, I, I don't believe our first year we did, but towards, you know, kind of the character of error, we did kind of put the walls in, but, but, you know. Uh, did you like uh, that as a returner or did you like the freedom? Like I like the, the freedom very... actually. Cause yeah. I was a guy that most of the time I didn't even run to where the wedge was or where the wall was. I <laughs> that's what I was about. Everybody's going to run that direction. Every damn time so I set sure. up that wedge, the returner yeah. never Go goes to, that way. I never, so why would you do that? If you know for a fact, all right, there's the wedge. That's where everybody's going. I'm Cause going I'm not to trying to get cussed out by coach P. Definitely. I understand. So for me, it was either, you know, make a player get cussed out for not following the wedge. So I, I try to make a play a lot of the time. So, you know, one of my biggest cries about Scott Satterfield was the fact that for three, four years, essentially, they put a freaking linebacker as a punt returner. There was never even an attempt to return a punt. Let me and now listen. Up. Yeah, let me let me it give let it some context. It give it right, so, so, so Rajay, Rajay was a recruited as a corner, admitted to Ohio State as a corner, signed with Ohio State, and then transferred uh, back home to Louisville. They move him from corner to outside linebacker in this new defense. So, I mean, and he returned punts for us every year in high school. I, mean, I can <laughs> understand that. So, so the, I think the thinking about a lot of times for the defensive guys is those, those, a lot of times those guys are fearless back there because they're not getting used to getting hit blindside and across the middle. And, you know what I mean? So they're fearless back there a lot of times with catching that ball. I don't think defensive guys even think about getting hit because they're always doing the hitting. When you're an offensive guy, you know a lot of times, like, you know, if I if, if this guy gets loose and I don't fair catch this ball, it's a chance I'm gonna get stroked. And and I just think defensive guys don't have that that I'm not I won't say a fear, but they don't have that thought in their mind when they're back there returning punts. And I think that's why Jair was such a great uh, uh punt returner because they don't have to go across the middle. Yeah, they don't have to worry about, about getting their head knocked it, off you know? like that, man. Yeah. One of the greatest moments in your career is a, a simple slant, I will say, over the middle of the field against NC State 06. And you yeah. catch a ball jumping over somebody one hand yeah. over the middle of the field. It was a glance. You a glance yeah, route. you walk yeah. over back to Brian and be like, don't ever fucking do that again. I, I, I mean, I told him, I said, Brian, why would you throw that ball? He was like, hey, man, you, you made the catch, right? So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. That's such Deal a cool it the next day, yeah. So, I mean, we needed to make a play right there, too. We needed to drive down, at least kick a field goal if we didn't get the point. So, you know, Brian threw the ball. You I made, made a play. play. I, I have no clue how I didn't get killed going across the middle like that. It was a one-hand catch. And I, I think it's a little of an underrated catch because, that you know, that was kind of tough, you know, one hand across the middle. with a One hand in general pass. is tough, but you're going yeah, across the so, middle. Yes. Yeah, yes. man. Yeah. So so we talked with Art uh, last episode, and he talked about the confidence you guys had on that 2016 – or 2016, sorry. Right. I wish we would have had you in 2016. So you were an up and coming player at that time. Uh, how did that impact you? Uh, just being around so many studs, knowing the uh, sort of confidence of that team and everything. Yeah, man. It, it just wasn't the players, man. That, that, that 2016, like the entire camaraderie of, you know, the players, the coaches, the trainers, the doctors, the city of Louisville, everybody, you could just feel it in the air, man. Like, Everybody had the winning attitude and understood that, hey, man, like we really got a chance this year to go, you know, go play for a national title. And we approached that season like that, like that that was in our mind the entire way. Like, hey, we got a group of studs on both sides of the ball. We got a great group of coaches. And, you know, uh, that that team was just different, man. It's probably I'll say the top or uh, the top time I played football, probably the best time I've had, like as far as camaraderie and you know, being a part of a team since 
you know, at all, like NFL level, CFL level, any other college team I've ever been on, man, that, that, that time was just a great time, man. So we started off, you know, big game with Miami coming in town and, you know, they were full of studs and there's no way that Louisville was going to take those guys down. And, you know, from that win on, it started. So I'm curious about the practices during that time period. Cause like, like we've said throughout the show, like y'all, have had studs across the board. I mean, on mm-hmm. offense and defense. And in 2016, we had some of like the most heated practices and not because we're like, we love to fight or anything right. like that. We are right. just that damn competitive. Right. And knew we could kind of do that year. So right. why don't you speak on that, on how, you know, the iron sharpens iron kind of deal was going on that entire summer fall camp leading into that Miami game. For right. Y'all to go out there and do what y'all did. Right. And that was the main thing, man. Like you said, iron sharpens iron. If you know, if we felt like we were playing the best guys in practice every day and we were giving a hundred percent effort and going out there and trying to be as, as close to perfect as we could, because you understood as, as a Bobby Petrino player, he wanted perfection in, in all that you do. And sometimes he, we, we would get to a 20 uh, in a 24 period practice and get to 23 and he'll start that practice all the way over oh, yeah, because you made a mistake. Off. You know what cut, I'm saying? Cut the clock so, off over there. You know, uh, we had battles in practice, man. You you watch those guys go back and forth. Uh, the Will Gays and the and, and the Harry Douglases go back and forth, and you know we had Nate Harris and the Moby Okoye at that time. Eric Eric Wood, you know we had studs on both sides of the ball, man. Um, th- those uh, practices it's like were brings intense, goosebumps man. back, man. Yeah, it's, it's like a different. It's intense, man. There's this level of excellence that fans demand from the football program. It's right for sure. Years like that. that. Yeah, for sure. People always, you know, people think of Louisville as a as a basketball school. I think, I mean, but we've had some great football teams and we've had some great coaches come through there and prove that. You know, we're not only a a, a great basketball school, but we got some guys that come through that can can play some football too. So, man, those practice. I mean, you guys are giving. Yeah, I'm getting chills right now thinking about the atmosphere of those practices and and you know the you know us are wanting to win and you know how excited the city of Louisville was about Louisville football and you know the support we got from it man it was it was a it was an amazing time man like words don't even I can't even put it in words how great those times were so let's transition talking a little bit from Bobby Petrino to Steve Cragthorpe um he's hired from Tulsa you're pulling up his record you're looking at stats you're thinking about, all right, we got Brian coming back. We got Harry coming back. We got guys from this, you know, Orange Bowl team. Give me just a little bit of the expectations going into it. And then the reality of new coach, new system, new scheme, new opportunity. But then also, you know, what comes with that, with the record. Just take us through right. kind of your perspective of that transition from Bobby to, to Craig Dorp. Ah, oh, man, it was tough, man. You, you got to understand, like, I came to Louisville to play in the spread offense. Uh, I knew, you know, Bobby Petrino's offense and how much he threw the ball. And, you know, you know, he, he threw that thing around. Um, Bobby Petrino knew who I was as a player. He knew what he was getting. Uh, he understand, understood what type of person I was. Uh, he, he, he knew us. Um, and not to take anything from Crector, but he didn't understand, you know, who we were. He didn't recruit us. Um, which, which I say that that's tough to have, you know, the guy that comes, you know, that you come to a school to play for, you know, leave out on you. Uh, and I, I understand it's a business, but as a 17 year old, 18 year old kid, like you don't understand the business side of things. All I knew is that I was going there to play for Bobby Petrino. I love Louisville. That's where I wanted to be. That's where I wanted to play. And, you know, uh, 
you know, he left and in the blink of an eye, we had, you know, Coach Kreckdorp and, you know, a lot of us didn't even know who he was, uh, sad to say. Yeah, uh, the club though. I don't think anybody else did. Yeah, yeah. We did so, the same so thing. Was, we had the yeah. same thoughts with like Chris Fairfield. Whenever he was hired, I mean, we're all leaving the team room with Vince Tyree Googling his name and all this stuff. And every I mean, I get I get it for sure. You definitely had a different exit with Coach Petrino than I had. For sure. Though. I mean for sure. we because I mean after you gotta think after an Orange Bowl win, man, a 12-01 season with knocking on the door of a national title. Um, you would think that everybody would come back because we wanted to, we thought we would make a run. You know, we, we had the same, pretty much the same exact team. We lost some guys on the defense, but offensively we were coming back. You know, we didn't have Mike Bush the entire year that year, regardless. So, you know, Mike was a stud, but, you know, he probably wouldn't have played that next year, but we still had the, you know, those, those same core group of guys. We brought back Brian Brown. We brought back Harry Douglas, Mario Urrutia, Pat, Patrick Carter was added to our team. Uh, we brought back Anthony Allen, George Stripling. Um, you know, I had a year under my belt. Scott Long had a year under his belt. We still had our, our, our offensive line was intact. Eric Wood was there. Man, wow, you, man. you wow. would think that God, Lee, yeah. come back. And, and, you know, things may di- be different, but, you know, we can't change the past. Uh, you know, Coach K came through and uh, we dealt with it. What was there in the offense, right? I remember, you know, you go from this high-powered offense that in 2005, six is scoring 77 points in a game. Mm-hmm. And I remember with Crackdoor, it was like pulling teeth to move the ball seven yards. You know, yeah. it was like for you, was it just his scheme that was overcomplicated or was it just that the players in terms of like the fit for what he wanted? What, like, what right. was it? Because you all had all the talent all along, right. but it was very much a like, okay, this is clear. This is a coaching issue. I don't think it was ever overcomplicated as far as learning his system. I just think that it didn't fit the players that we had at the time. You know what I mean? Like we were we we were a high powered spread out offense, fast pace, get the ball downfield, and you know um, that's not what it was when you know when Coach K got there. It was kind of a, a, a little more slowed down, a little more pro style offense. Uh, uh, two receivers, you know, uh, it, it was a lot different than what we were used to. And like I said, like. When you have a receiver room that's full of guys like that, like we have to spread that thing around, man. I think today's day and age, like how many of you guys do you think would have hit the portal at that time period? Ah, uh, that's tough to say, man, because I thought about leaving Louisville at one point, but I was there for my brothers, man. It, it's different times now. I understand these kids, you know, they, they understand the business side of things now, but. I was more so trying to fight with my brothers and sticking it out with my brothers. Like I, I, I didn't see myself being in a different receiver room. I wanted to be with those guys. So I couldn't speak for everybody else, but I loved the, the city of Louisville and being a Louisville Cardinal man and, and the love that I got from the city. I wanted to be there. And, uh, and awesome. I, I mean, I stayed. So it's, yeah. it's, it's really interesting, Vince. I mean, I feel like for as many interviews as we've done with your former teammates, it's the same sentiment. Like it's the same thing we heard about 2018 to 2019 to 2020 to 2021. Like it was more than just, I play football for this university. It was a connection to the city, a connection to the people. And I always feel like that's what makes a little special. And when you try to kind of explain that you seem, you know, like, I mean, you're playing college, you're playing big time, big level college football, but you're still a small community at the end of the day. Like Louisville is not, it's big, but it's not. Everybody knows right. everybody. You're right. If you that's ask anybody here, they're going to ask you where you went to high school, post college. Right. You know, so it's like, yeah. that's a fact. Just everybody got, y'all had that swag and that pride. And I think that's what everybody enjoyed the most about your all's teams was just 
it's like that's how Louisville football is supposed to be played. You know, like sure. I went into college, guys that were my age that watched y'all playing growing up, like knew mm-hmm. like the Orange Bowl was just like two years ago for us. <laughs> Whenever right. we were freshmen, for you sure. know, like we yeah. wanted to play like y'all, that same intensity, that same swagger, you know, that right. set the tone for our generation of what Louisville football was supposed to look like. Right. And that, that I mean, the city is just so much better when – the football team is winning, man. It's just yeah. amazing. <laughs> I mean, it really like is. the atmosphere is amazing, man. Like it, it's it's nothing, it's nothing better than playing that Louisville football, man. So I I never gave two thoughts about Louisville. It's like six weeks out of the year. No matter who you hate, how bad your job is, what your situation is with your kids, your spouse, like if you can go out to Cardinal Stadium, drink some beer in some fall weather, and watch some dudes dominate you know guys from west virginia it's a win like it's just a win all the way around i can just remember experience it from that aspect i've never been to a game at louisville oh man you gotta come it's always come on one of your yeah for sure i i got i gotta get back up there man i've been telling my wife you know my my son that i I want them to come and experience that how the amount of stuff that's been done to the stadium since you yeah i know man i can't even imagine how great it looks man yeah there's no more blow-ups you know as you're running out of howard stellenberger with the big (laughs) blow-up doll cardinal oh yeah yeah you know what i mean but you did get to play back in the the day with the parachuting cardinal which i mean yeah yeah nowadays they don't have they can't say that man right let's let's transition a little bit to talk about heading into 2008 from 2007 mm-hmm. you guys go six and six obviously a big letdown brian is gone eric wood is gone uh harry douglas is gone the the team is kind of sort of slowly starting to transition and look more like steve Cragthorpe. but for you you know obviously with harry being gone and unfortunately Juwan Spillman being dismissed in that offseason there was a big opportunity for you to take a step forward become the number one guy in that offseason, you deal with being shot at a night out in Louisville and really have to kind of come back from not only just an injury, but just I would imagine what is a life changing moment for you that puts everything into full perspective. So tell me, I want to just know from you as a person, man, looking back yeah, on that so many years later, what did that what did that moment in that night that what happened change your perspective, not only on life, but on football? Yeah, man. So going into that offense. I probably got up to like one 171 pounds, which may not seem a lot to you guys, but I was. If you're talking to Tutu Atwell, that's a lot of weight. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, right. I, I was if you're guy, talking to like, me, I, I wish. The, the light guy, and you know, I got up to 171. I didn't lose any speed. I was blazing fast, man. Hunter Cantwell was stepping in for Brian Brown. Our timing was amazing. The whole offseason, you know, we we're going through seven on sevens, cooking the defense, man. Like, it just felt great. Like, I, I just felt like, you know, it's my time now. Uh, it's time for me to step into, you know, the light and, and be a, a great receiver here at the University of Louisville. And, you know, tragedy struck that night, man. And it, I, it's, it's always tough to think about because, you know, that, that, that you know, it's tough to go through things like that. Uh, but, you know, my entire life I've always heard, you know, football is a game of inches. And, and that became reality to me as far as with life when I got shot, um, the bullet hit me in the right spot, man, an inch to the left. I, I would have got hit in the vital organ, maybe bled out an inch to my right. I would have got hit in the spine, could have been paralyzed, maybe could have died. Um, so it made me appreciate life a whole lot more, not only just being able to play the game of football, but just appreciating my family more, my, my teammates, my friends, the fans, just, um, 
just enjoying life, man, and living to its fullest and not, you know, taking anything for granted and knowing that, you know, uh, tomorrow's not promised, man. And I know it sounds cliche, but that, that was, that's what I thought about a lot of times. Like, you know, I had to live my life to the best of my ability and be a great person, you know, understand how much it's a blessing to be here after something like that. Praise God, man. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it made me, my outlook change on a lot of things. I, I had two teammates, unfortunately had a similar instance, uh, in 2016. And I remember that night just getting the text messages flooding in and coach Petrino was the night Lamar won the Heisman. So we're all up having fun partying and stuff. And then the next morning or throughout that night, everybody stays up, you know, just trying to figure out what's going on, what's happening and stuff. Right. uh, Right. I mean, just the shock and, you know, being a teammate during that time period is almost is, is really rough because you're just, you're seeing your brother down. Right. Like, man, like I just want, if I could give him an arm, I'd give him an arm. If I could give him a leg, I'd give him a leg. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I commend you as a fan and, you know, as an alumni and everything for just getting back out and being able to yeah. get out there and play again. Like, I, the rehab. I it, yeah. Yeah. The, the rehab. And that's, a, and that's what I tell you. The great thing about Louisville is, man, like we said, that camaraderie in that city, man, I, I think the support I got, I mean, I'm talking thousands. I didn't see it myself, but I heard it from my mom and my father who were at the hospital, coaches. I mean, thousands of people came to the hospital to make sure that I was all right. And I'm talking about this is three or four o'clock in the morning. And the hospital was full of people, so so much so that I had to get an alias to, you know, so that people wouldn't know exactly where I was, you know. But people were trying to come see me, people out there praying for me, like the city was behind me, man. And I felt that love, and it gave me the strength, you know, to fight back and, and come back, you know. So, like I said, that's that's one of the things I love about Louisville, man, that that that, that city is behind its program and the people that is in its program. I mean, like not only just the football team, I, uh, T. Will, he sent me flowers. Harry Douglas flew back in and stayed with me a few nights in the hospital. Uh, Mario, all those guys, Scott Long came up and, you know, sat with me in the hospital. Dr. Ramsey came and visited me in the hospital. Like wow. all those things meant a lot to me at the time, man. So that, that, that shows you how great of a place Louisville is, man, and how much that city is behind us. You know, that's the people unreal, there. man. Yeah, that's man, a, that's a cool story. Those are cool stories. And I, I, we, Jacob and I both appreciate you sharing that for sure. We'll move on from that and go into the uh, 2009 season. I dealt with it a little bit in 18 once we hit the road and, you know, you start hearing the outside noise a little bit. At some point, you can only keep everything so tight for so long. Yeah. How did you guys, you know, manage that and push through as a team to it was hard for us in 18 to even just get through the year, man. Right. Coach, right. P, Coach P gets fired. And, you know, now it's like it's like leaving the kids at the house with no parental guidance for right. three more <laughs> weeks, you know See, what I mean? That, that is, I mean, that's a great way to explain it, man. Like, uh, that that's the best way to explain it. I mean, going into that, it, it was tough, man. You, you got to think. We just came off of a 12-1 season with Bobby. We went 6-6 six and six with practically the same Orange Bowl team that, you know, it, you know, it was a lot of expectation on Craig Thorpe to go and win. Um, but we, you know, that was – that was the national championship team that we went six and six with, man. We we were loaded with talent. Then we go five and seven, and we're heading to another season in 2009. And, you know, by this time, I've had two head coaches. I've had four offensive coordinators. I've had three different position coaches. Like, it just becomes tough to even like, say, hey, man, who wants to stick around this program other than the players that are here? You know what I mean? Like, so, I mean, it was tough going into that 2009 season and not understanding whether or not, you know, well, 
it was kind of a murmur that, you know, maybe this is Craig Dorf's last year, but it's kind of terrible that it's his last year during our senior year. You know what I mean? This is, this, this is, especially the guys that came in with Bobby during that Bobby era who were accustomed to winning and knew what it felt like to win. And we hadn't even been in a bowl game in the past three years. And we weren't projected to make a bowl game in 2009. You know what I mean? So, you know, it, it was tough, man. Like, but the thing again is, you know, you you want to go out there and play hard for your brothers every single play. And I'll say every time I touched the field or got a chance to 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 make a play, I did it for my brothers, man. I did it for little uh, for the city of Louisville. So I I gave my all going out there and playing, man. And you know, um, I, I think my brothers did as well. How hard was it for you to get a rhythm with all those OCs and people, why coaches interchanging and stuff? Because we went through a lot of the similar stuff. I don't think it's that common in the coaching world. I think it's uncommon whenever there's a shaky head coach or something shaky is going on in a situation. And I mean, you can kind of see right. it. coaches want to bounce and gets that whole profession is about stability. Right. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. And stability for kids. You got to understand we're kids at a time, man. We don't understand all this stuff that's going on. Why coaches are in and out. I mean, we went from, from having Paul and Bobby as our OCs to having Charlie Stubbs to having Jeff Brom to having Steve Gregor be the OC himself. So it was a lot of changes as far as who, who your leader is going to be and understanding the identity of what your offense is supposed to be. You know what I mean? So it, it got tough. Like I wouldn't say that the game of itself or learning what it exactly it is that I'm supposed to do as a receiver got tough, but them, you know, or our team understanding the identity of what we are and who we're supposed to be. That was tough. You know what I mean, especially with all the coaching changes. You so. should have just said the game plan should be just give me the damn ball. And I mean, hey, <laughs> I had a position coach, Coach Jeff Lewis, God rest his soul, man. Uh, he told me to do that. He said, hey, Tristan, <laughs> man, you need to go up and say, hey, I love it. you I want love the it. ball more, you know. But, you know, I, I wasn't that guy, man. I wanted to do whatever was going to help the team, man. So if, if, it was, if it was playing on special teams and making plays there, then that, that's what I had to do. I will say though, I look back at this roster in in twenty what is this two thousand eight, and I look at guys like Vic Anderson, yourself, Doug Beaumont, oh another legend, Vic, Scott, man. yeah, That's Scott Long, what? Cameron Graham, Josh Chichester, Troy Paisley, like Pete Pete Nocta. It feels weird that he played football this generation, but he did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's some names on that roster that Love just Pete. make you sigh, and you're just like, man, if Bobby had those guys, or if Charlie had those guys, or if yeah. even. If even Scott Satterfield had those guys, man, man it's a different. You would have loved that shit, man. You would have been running I, I, that I, bubble. You know what's crazy is Charlie came the next year. I I wish I could have played for Charlie. Like the year that I got uh shot. Sorry to go back to that, but the year that I got shot, I was actually supposed to sit out seven games. I don't know if you guys know. I came back four weeks later after I got shot to 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 training mm-hmm. camp to start uh-huh. practicing yeah. training camp. Yeah, I was I probably like a I was probably like 140 pounds at the time, man. Like. Uh, uh, playing against my doctor's wishes, you know, my family's wishes. Like, but at that time, it was like, hey, we'll get you back either the seventh game or, you know, you know, I didn't want to lose all those games. So I came back, yeah. probably shouldn't have came back. And maybe if I could have gotten a gray shirt, I would have got a year on Charlie and 
you know, see what those things have. But, you know, I can't change the past, man. I will, you know. Yeah, that's an interesting I, I sure what wish if. I could play one year under under Charlie Strong, man. I I, I wish I could have. It's sure. an interesting – you know, you think about, like, the te- if Teddy comes back for his senior year to play for Bobby, right. if Trent Guy right. comes back for his redshirt graduate COVID year. Lamar comes to, back yeah. for his senior year. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Vince LaCoco does a lot of what ACL. is, man. Right, exactly. Godly, man. That's exactly right. Well, let's – before we jump into a break here on the show, let's end with this and, and just talk about, um, you know, as you look overall at your career at Louisville, I think that people often, you know, forget punt returners and kick returners as being a very important part of the game. You know, we talk about, you know, three phases on our show a lot of the times, and we joke about the fact that special teams is forgotten, but it's important to be able to kick the football and be able to score field goals, be able to return punts and set yourself up. So I want to ask you, and you may not have an opinion on this. I don't know. Some mobile football players have a better understanding of history of players and, and some don't. But where do you think you match up in the history of Louisville football as punt and kick returner? Because I think you're up there at least in the top three, and you could make an argument for even the top two and not being number two. Um, I mean, I've never been that guy to try to rank myself, man. I've always left that up to the fans, man. It's just an honor to even be mentioned with, you know, with some of those guys that have been – there's been some great guys to do it there, man. And, it's just an honor for me to even be mentioned, but I think I was a pretty decent returner. Though. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it for you. You're number one. Yeah. We'll put Jair probably two. Yeah. Hey, that's two you know, North Carolina boys too, man. That's Jair's right. North Ironic how that works out, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard some interesting names, man. I mean, you talk about not only yourself from those teams in 06 and 07, but Juwan Spillman is another guy that's mentioned as an all-timer, Jair Alexander, Corvin Lamb. There was even yeah. names thrown out from the 70s and 80s, and it's just really interesting to hear. But what I think that that's interesting about you is that people – I don't know what it is, man, but people are like – you know, they have their conversation and they toss out those first names – the, you know, it's the Jairs, it's the the big name. And then they're like, oh, but what about Trent Guy? Like, you know, you right. can think back, what about 05 against West Virginia? What about Kentucky? Right. You know, you can highlight these big moments. And, and I think that, uh, you know, we're going to get into the Canadian football side of things here in a minute. The, right. the, the yeah. NFL and Canadian Football League define, you know, in terms of like cementing that legacy as a great returner. But I think uh, Louisville fans all know that that uh, you're one of the best when it comes to the program history of being able to right, take that yeah. ball from the one yard line to the 50 yard line, whatever it is, all the way to the house. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes too, man. You got to be winning games at that time too. You know what I'm saying? So that that's, that's, that's probably part of the reason too. They're like, Oh, what about Trent guy? But Trent guy played three terrible years at Louisville. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. hey, but, you know, you know, but you know, you got to be yeah. winning football games for, for people to consider you great at something. So one play battles for huge chunks of land. That's what right. yeah, yeah, sure. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll step aside here on the other side. We'll come back with Trent guy. We'll do screen share. We're going to look at the 05 West Virginia game and, and dissect that in real time. And then we'll dive into post Louisville football, which includes, of course, a stop in the NFL, some Canadian football, our second Canadian football player on the show, joining Lorenzo Molden. So we're going to talk about some Canadian football traditions and rituals. My favorite thing about the Canadian football league is the players who get to run before the play actually starts. Trent was one of those yes, guys. Sir. So we'll talk about yep. what that looks like. Uh, and then, of course, we'll dive into the uh, our favorite segment here, the rapid fire questions at the end of the show. But uh, be sure that you go out and check Ellen and Eats out on YouTube. Subscribe at the State of Louisville. Check those guys out. I know Trent was here with NIL that Trent would have made a buttload of money getting those deals in as a kicker turner, punt returner, endorsing your business and your restaurant. Maybe it would have been guys, guys eats or whatever it is back in the day. But Ellen and me, check that out on YouTube at the State of Louisville. We'll be right back.
we're back from the Pink Seeds podcast. Let's jump into this screen share. Each week we dive into a highlight, a game of choice to break down in real time with our guest, uh, a moment that was special in Louisville football history. Tonight we're going to look back at the blackout game in 05. I was there. Vince, were you there? I was not there. Classic. I was oh, there. Man, I will never it. forget it. It was cold as shit. I know, I know. I know. But here's a fun fact. A lot of Louisville fans remember this. They gave out these, these bags to the fans. It was like the first, I don't know. 25,000 fans got a free, you remember those bags that would have like the strings and you put them over your shoulder. It was a Shane company bag. And I'm telling you what, to this day, I still see people carrying those damn things around, man. That's one of those things that you never forget that you got, but it was West Virginia. Oh five. I think it was on like a Thursday night. Uh, You're talking about number three versus number five coming off of the year before uh, in an epic multi overtime game. Uh, and and this game is stars of stars. Not only do you have Brian Brom, yourself, Harry Douglas, of course, an absolutely loaded defense, but you've got Steve Slayton and Pat White, two of the most yeah. dynamic duo. I mean, the most uh, one of the most dynamic duos in college football history. Uh, so we're going to so turn bad. this on here. Uh, these are highlights from SportsCenter back in 2006. Always interesting to see what SportsCenter looked like way back in the day. This is the peak of SportsCenter <laughs> in my lifetime. Uh, yeah, we're going to dive in here about, uh, <laughs> I'd say this is about uh, about midway to the first quarter with the game really close. And ultimately, we're working our way towards the uh, the big crescendo for Louisville football, Trent, which I think you might uh, remember. I don't know. Maybe we'll see. So we'll go right in. We'll dive in here. No sound. Uh, but tell me what you remember watching on the sideline of Steve Slayton and Pat White. You had to be like, this is not fair. Man, those guys were dudes, man. They they were they were dudes. I I, I don't know. Man, it's look at it's, Kobe, dude. He's yeah, like my boy running through stuff. Kobe was a stud too now. Come on, oh, man. Kobe was a stud. He was Kobe my position coach. Back. He was? Uh, yeah. Man, I love Kobe the too, man. With the runner backs. I love all my brothers that I played with back then. Kobe was a stud, man. Uh, but look Pat at White Brian and Steve moving, Slayton, man. man. Those guys are this year. Guy this play, man. Vince, mark this play down. We're going to see this a lot yes. in 2023 oh, right yes. here. Look at that, man. Hey, you know what's crazy? I know exactly what play that was, and Harry fell on it. And you're going to ask me this question later, and I'm going to tell you exactly what that okay, play was. Okay, all right. We'll go back yeah. to that. Anthony yeah. Allen. Anthony uh, Allen was a stud. I told we had a group. We had a group. And, man, and back, Gary Barnage looking like a damn offensive lineman in the back. Yeah, Gary. Gary's, oh, Gary's that God. guy, too. Man. Look at this. God, man. We Yo, we had a team. Making your defense look like. Swiss cheese. I mean, look, you get the fumble yeah. there, but this is a dope yeah. defense looking like Swiss cheese. Yeah, Steve Steve Slade. Steve, Steve Slade was good, man. I actually played with him in Canada, too. Look at that, yep, man. In Toronto. It's yep. just a thing of beauty to see a quarterback drive. I mean, it's a fumble here again. Who is that, number 80? I don't know who that is. Right. That's I, Jimmy I, Riley. Jimmy Riley. I don't know number who that is. Jimmy, Jimmy Riley. Yep, yep. He was okay. a good player for over two play receiver. I, too young to yep. remember them all, but I remember yep. the, the ones that matter is what, what matters. Riley, so, look at this. Hey, this Malik Miles. Jackson. Oh, it's Malik Jackson. Okay. Okay. Stud. I remember rushing the field as a kid Yo, and seeing him. This was him. a fun game, man. You were cold. Here we go. Here we go. Fire. Here this we go. is the moment. What are you thinking, right? Look at their all. Hold on. Hold on. Let me hit pause real quick. I'm going to rewind this. There's like six dudes yeah. behind you before you catch the football. So you know what's crazy is, is we knew that that punter was, he was a rugby style punter. So the way, you know, we had those three receivers back because we needed to know exactly where he was going to kick the ball. So I, he missed this punt, oh, his fault, not my fault. Who is, he missed who the is punt this to the running right. up behind you right here? If you can see my so mouth, that's who Harry. is that? That's, okay. That's Harry. So Harry was the middle returner. I was on the left side and Juwan Spielman was on the right side. Imagine that. Harry Douglas, right. Juwan Spielman, Trent guy in the back catching punch right now. I mean, so he, 
his, you can't get he, a receiver room better than that. That's pretty dynamic. So, as a so I'm turn. pretty sure that the punt was supposed to be kicked to the left because look at all the guys. Like, they're running straight to Harry. Harry did a good job of selling that, like running up like he was catching the ball. But look, still, we still got two guys over here, me. So they covered the punt pretty decent. But the punter missed the ball. So, boom, he well, kicked it. I look like, oh, I know it's not coming to me with this much room right now. <laughs> Boom. You you sell this like I don't have any Listen, clue that I'm about to get the football until I get it and then I'm no sorry. I really didn't Go if you look on. at me if you look at the catch look how low I caught the ball like I don't know if you can rewind it but maybe you can't yeah. but, but if you look how low I caught the ball like I caught it low because I was like it's absolutely no way this ball is being kicked to me the coverage is to the left so I get the ball and I'm like all right well here we go I catch I the ball I don't think anybody touched you. I mean, I'm looking no, back at this. Boy, they, 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 they tried. You remember they had a plate head back here. The, they the, tried. The guy that That's I too hard right that. there. You did yeah, not they, just they that line. And hold I mean, on, hold on, Trent. Is this Pat McAfee? Yeah, that's McAfee. For sure, McAfee. We're talking that's about the wrong guy getting 140 million dollars from ESPN, right? Nah, now. it's all good. He's come on now, job, come on man. now. I, 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 yeah, Pat was—he's a great dude, man. Like, yeah, I'm gonna hit play on this one more time, and we're gonna watch you literally go untouched in the end zone. I mean, oh. that guy, number 13, his ankles still hurt to this day. I mean, Somebody got a, blown up back there. My my mind was on, hey, this is I, – I have to score right here, man. Like, this is the blackout game. This is prime time. It's Thursday oh, who night. Is this? Everybody's who is this? watching the field. That was Terrence Butler got the, the, the that great block for me right there, my boy T-Butt. I mean, he got a great – It looked like he had a great – That's well, pretty. He That's ran pretty because it's legal in right. baseball too. Stick, is that McAfee there? I think that was McAfee. Let's go back. Hold on, because I think you made McAfee actually dive for you to tackle you. I mean, you're talking about a $140 million man right here diving to yeah. tackle a punt returner. Look at him, man. I mean, I mean, but that's not his job. His job is to kick the ball. So, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure he had no chance there. No, so. Trent, whenever Trent they knows. coach him up, they say whenever that dude busts, you, you, yeah, you better it, turn to a football player. It sounds good. <laughs> it sounds good. Yeah, oh, but, man. Hey, yeah, man, that, that, hey, the, the chills I got from that play, like, that was my first collegiate touchdown. It was in a big time game, 5 3, Louisville, West Virginia, playing for, you know, uh, opportunity to go to the national championship, man. There's no feeling in the world that you can get from that feeling hearing those fans scream for you after a play like that, man. Like, that, that, it's amazing. It brings chills to me right now thinking about it. Like, I, you can't get that feeling anywhere in the world, but on the football field, man. I have to rewind back to this real quick, Vince. Before we dive in, I got I got to dive into this. This throw right here. I just want you to dissect this for me. A back shoulder throw to the end zone from Brian Brom. I mean, that's – I'm hoping we're going to see that this year with Jack Plummer. Man, Brian was a dude, man. And so was Mario, man. Like, you, it, it, playing for a quarterback like Brian made it so much easier as a receiver because he knew exactly where to put the ball. He knew exactly where he wanted to go. Like, Brian was a stud, man. Like, one of the best quarterbacks to come through the University of Louisville. Of course, you got Lamar Jackson, Heisman Trophy winner, but Brian is one of those guys too, man. He, he he's a stud. So so what kind of like Lamar had very little touch on the ball whenever he was mm -hmm. in college. He's got some touch now, but like what what kind of balls did you receive from Brian? Were they more touch? You say put them in the right spot. I I expect yeah, yeah. that from him, but like Kyle Bowling was, was a softer yeah. ball. He was very precise with his throws. Brian did. You want me to tell you, you threw the ball hard? Hunter can't will. He slung that thing. Like, Hunter had a cannon. But Brian, he had just enough of an arm and just enough touch. And he knew the game of football. So, 
the balls were perfect when they came to you from Brian. Man, it, it couldn't get any more perfect than that. But that's what I always tell people too. Like, if Lamar had all the gifts, it wouldn't be fair. It's kind of <laughs> it like what fair. I tell LeBron people about LeBron James. Like, he's like, if he was had the mama mentality, or if he was like Jordan, it wouldn't be fair for people, man. Like, he has everything else, so everybody can't be blessed with everything, man. So. But Brian, Brian, Brian was a stud of a quarterback, man, and I, it was great to play with such a great player, man. All right, man, you're 18 years old. You're a freshman in college, and this happens. 40,000 people on the field at one time. Are you? Tell me, take me back to your memories as we wrap up screen share here. Louisville, West Virginia. Louisville wins that game, 44 to 34. Take me back to that moment when everyone rushes onto the field. What you're you're personally feeling in that moment? It's it's an unreal feeling, man. Like I wish I could have bottled it up and kept it and like open it whenever you you know what I mean. Just to get whenever that you're sad. Yeah, you know what I mean because you <laughs> right. can't get like I said you don't get that feeling anywhere else but a, a football field. Like I said, like Louisville loves their football team, man. And to see all of those people rush that field and just feel the energy of the fans and the program, man, it, it, it was amazing. Like I'm real big on energy and the energy in that place was out of this world. Like, I don't know if you guys remember that, but the top lights went out during that game. It was just like perfect. Like the entire bowl wow. of the stadium was dark. The field was illuminated. It was truly a blackout game, man. Like it, it, yeah. it was amazing. It, and it we all crazy. got a bag. So, I mean, yeah. there's nothing <laughs> better a than a collectible moment, man. I mean, that, that, bag. Yeah. Yeah. So that, 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 that feeling was amazing, man. Like I just, I haven't had it since. Man, we, we, so whenever, we beat Florida State in 2016. We flooded yeah. the field. Fans flooded yeah. the field. Did you see anybody get injured, bro? Because I saw the nastiest angle I'm pretty break. sure people fell and not. Like, I didn't see it during that time, but I'm pretty sure people get hurt jumping off the side of that, oh. that wall like that, man. The, the, the two times we flooded. So, I, I was there for Florida State on the field. But we beat Jacob. Who we beat? Wake, Wake Forest, year. yeah. So, we beat number 10 Wake yeah. Forest last year, and Jacob uh, and I flooded the field. And soon as, I get drop, over, man. as soon as I get over the wall, yeah, it is. is. It, That's a I look drop. over and some girl's sitting on the ground because she blew her knee up. That's <laughs> what you should. You can't do that, man. They should just open the gates for everybody and let them run down that way. Dude, because, they were trying to stop me. They, they, they were was every like fourth me. person. They oh, put their hand man. on your foot, be like, "Don't do it." No, 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 no. They don't really want to stop you. It's just their job. Exactly right. Yeah, man. That oh, that Florida State win too. I remember because you got to remember, I'm in Florida, man. So we got a lot of Florida State fans here. Actually, uh, uh, one of the gentlemen I work with, he, he actually owns, owns a home five houses down from me. He had to fly the Louisville flag. On his brand new home. That's so awesome. There Good we go. Yeah. You, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There we go. We're back. Let's talk certain guy. Post Louisville football career, you go on. Obviously, uh, you finish your career in 2009. You go to that draft and go undrafted, but you get the opportunity to sign with your hometown football team in the Carolina Panthers. What's that like? Take me back. Give me some kind of mental picture for you of you get that phone call, you go to camp. You make the team, you know, whenever that was, whether it was in camp or as a practice squad guy later on. But just tell me the first time you put that uniform on, what that was like for you. Oh, man, that was such a blessing because initially I was supposed to go to the Oakland Raiders and something happened where I didn't end up there. It's a long story and I don't want to get into it, but I ended up going to the Carolina Panthers. And, you know, when I got into football is when the Panthers kind of came around in 95, 96. That's when I kind of started to understand football and, you know, wanting to be a part of it. So, man, that was such a blessing because this is something that I prayed for my entire life as a kid was like specifically said that I want to play for the Carolina Panthers. 
And God actually blessed me with that through all the other things that I went through with probably being at the Oakland Raiders. I ended up at Carolina Panthers. This is what I asked for specifically. So, um, you know, being there was amazing, man. But, you know, playing for your hometown team is kind of a gift and a curse because, you know, the distractions from being at home are, you know, it's a lot different than being in a place that you're not accustomed to. You know what I mean? And like I, I was still a young kid, 22 years old when I went there and, you know, dealt with a lot of distractions. So, but like I said, it was a blessing to even be able to consider, to be considered to, you know, be a part of that organization, a hometown kid from Charlotte, North Carolina, get that opportunity, man. It, it was amazing. God, the way y'all say North Carolina, Jair used to do it too. Y'all like yeah. roll it off the end. <laughs> Carolina boys, man. <laughs> so, bro, we, I got to ask you, when we had Lozo on, I asked him about CFL stuff too. Okay. But you you're you played the wide receiver position in that league. That is like yeah. I, I don't know a single receiver that wouldn't love like a 10-yard yeah. head start on a DB or slot back. or yeah, in your spot, an outside linebacker or a safety, which is probably 10 times worse, man. Yeah. So yeah, what was that? Sure. What was that like for you getting a running head start going to so going was, against the defender? That was kind of a cheat code for guys. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> guys that, it, it really was, man. Like especially guys that can run. Or if you were a bigger receiver, the only difference is, is that guys could get their hands on for after 10 yards there. So you as a linebacker, if a guy's running straight at you, you can smash him. You know what I mean? Like, you can't really do that after five yards playing American football. So if a guy's running straight at you, you can smash him. But I'm kind of shifty guy. I get a head start running. Like, it was kind of tough for guys to, you know, stick with you at, you know, running high 4-3, you know, 4-4 uh, uh, guys coming off the line, blazing full speed at you. So – you know, like I said, that's that was kind of a cheat code, but Canadian Football League is a fun game, man. Like, it, it's extremely fun. And regardless of what people believe the difference is between the NFL and CFL, the CFL got some studs, man. You got oh, yeah, some guys sure. up there that can play football. And, and I don't know if you guys ever seen that that interview with Chad Johnson talk about it, but CFL got some guys that can play some football, man, on yeah, both sides I, of the I, I've seen that interview. I don't know if Jacob has – I got yeah. my, my thing for you, man. A lot of times in that spot, you'd be matched up with an outside linebacker or safety, correct? Yeah. Or, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's, that's 12 man football. So they have what's called a halfback on defense, too. So you could be lined up against one of the safeties, the halfback, or one of the outside linebackers. So, so would you prefer like just how Tutu did a little bit where you're running Pat? almost a run pass he's slipping it coach brewer called it a blade where you just turn turn your shoulders a little bit so they don't get the hand on you don't redirect you or anything or would right. you prefer like getting on that db's toes breaking off a route and breaking yeah. off something real snappy and sexy i didn't mind it either way but i was kind of more of a get on your toes break you off on the route running yeah. you know like i i was a pretty decent route runner you know what i mean like i i can i you were a good you route runner you were a good route runner Trent. that's what i was trying to set up runner. Yeah, yeah, I was a pretty decent route runner. So being shifty and get stepping on those guys' toes and having them guess which way you were going, man, that, that that's my thing, man. So that that was fun for me. I want to ask you about the, the kind of the same thing I asked Lozo. You get a phone call. You know, obviously you go through playing for the Panthers and then uh, playing with the Raiders after that for a little bit. But I asked him, was there any type of ego check or, or pride check where you have to say to yourself, like, man, I, I'm going to go to play football in Canada? What was that like for you? You know, it's not as if Canada is not a good football league by any right. means. At the time, it's probably the second best football league in the world. But was there any type of like, I have to really check my ego at the door and say, like, this is the next opportunity. It may not be the NFL, right. but it's what's best for me in my career. Right. I, I, I've never been really 
uh, a guy with much of an ego or thinking that I'm too good for anything. You know what I mean? But I did feel like at the time that I was still good enough to play in the NFL, but I wasn't getting those calls. And then, you know, being an undrafted guy and fighting for a spot, you know, on the team, like I did that first year, like I fought my tail off, man. I, I even had Steve Smith go in the paper and talk about, you know, how decent I was doing as, as a, as a guy that came undrafted, you know what I mean? And that second year didn't fare well for me and I got released, but uh, I just wanted to play ball, man. When I got that call from Canada and, you know, they tell you, Hey, Montreal owns the rights to you. Well, you don't understand <laughs> what that means, but that means that that's the team you have to go to. You don't get to negotiate or talk or choose. That's exactly, exactly what where said. you want to go. Yeah, they. How own does the that right work, man? Like, like, so if if you if you you know are in the NFL and it, it teams, I guess they claim guys when you're still playing. Like, hey, if this guy ever comes up, this is the guy that we want, and this is where he's going. And what's crazy is the the GM at the time, Jim Pop, is from North Carolina, so I don't know if that had anything to do with it. But it was like, hey, you're going to CFL, you're going to Montreal, and that's because they own the rights to you, so that's who you have to sign with. So um, that's where I went, and Montreal is one of the most beautiful, great cities in in Canada. Um, I got the opportunity to play for two great cities, Montreal and Toronto, two of the best cities uh, uh, in Canada. So, you know, I went up there uh, with be humble and understanding that I still had to earn a spot on this team, regardless if it was CFL. And I felt like I was still able to play in the NFL. You still have to earn your spot. And like I said, it's some guys up there that can play some football, man. So I never had an ego about it. I, I, I love having the opportunity to continue to play football, man. And especially in a great city and great organization like the Montreal Alouettes. You had hands down one of the wildest plays in the CFL history with the 125 yard missed field goal for a touchdown. That's a, return. that's a, that's a world record, like a Guinness world record. You I, can't go no longer than that, man. <laughs> know, We're going to have to change the field. Yeah. <laughs> so take yeah. us through that moment, man. Like, first off, you got to avoid a goalpost so you don't hit a damn goalpost or anything like that. Yeah, that's for sure. You, but... <laughs> yeah, it's in the middle of the field, man. In the, in the middle of the front of the field. And you know, they have 20 yard end zones in Canada. So, so the, the end zones are 20, uh, 20 yards. So from the back of the end zone to the front uh, goal line of the opposite end zone is 120 yards. So, you know, it's crazy is my buddy uh, Swayze Waters, he was the, the the kicker for Toronto Argonauts at the time, which I also played with him in Toronto Argonauts. Nah, it's one of my good, one of my good friends. Uh, he kicked the ball and he said, Hey man, I thought I made that. And I was like, nah, dude, you didn't make it like <laughs> this. So I'm, I'm standing back there, heels on the, on the, uh, in, on the end line. I see the ball kick and I see the, the uh the referees like motion their hands like he missed the, the ball and you know field goals in Canada you can return those things because it you know the like you said the, the goalpost is in the front of the end zone I catch the ball I see him that that was a wall return you remember you asked for the wall return so yeah. on the, his field goal returns they set up walls so I huh. seen my my guy so the coach will tell you hey either bring it out if you can or you know take the knee take because if they miss it in Canada they get one point these rules are crazy, man. What if they if they miss the field goal in Canada and you down it in the end zone, the other the opposite team gets one point. That's a point for them for a missed that field is, goal. Wow. Yeah, it's wow. crazy. That's not football. Hey, but I didn't I, not at all. I I didn't have in my mind at all to down the ball. So I yeah, brought man. that thing out. Nope. Why would I you? I seen my guys get two or three uh blocks. I pushed that Swayze, set him up, stuck him, and and took it to the crib, man. How tired were you? 
I, I was on oxygen after. Yeah, I was say, you had to hit that. <laughs> you had to go back yeah. immediately. You can't celebrate because you're dude, hyperventilating. Dude, I was on the oxygen. I tried to celebrate a little bit. And I was like, get me back to the sideline, man. Like, I was on the oxygen tank after that, man. That was that was a long run. That was no like, amount of 120s is going to get nah, you a trip for that. Not at all. Not at all, man. Not Especially not with the adrenaline and excitement, man. I feel like I was dead after that. I probably set out the next series today. I ain't even going to lie. <laughs> I love it, man. I, I couldn't have gone 10 yards. So I admire you for 129. But so let's let's kind of fast forward a little bit. When did you start to know football was coming to an end? Um, and two-part question. Uh, what have you been up to since? That's a very loaded okay. question because I know you got a lot going on just, you know, the yeah. last couple of weeks communicating with you. You've got, you know, you're a dad, you're a husband, you, you work full time. So tell, tell us, first of all, how football kind of transitioned into that and what life is like post football. Yeah, for sure. So um, going to Canada is kind of tough, man, because, you know, half the year you're away. You know, um, I had my family back home. I was here. Um, for six months and then I would have to go away for, to Canada for six months and, uh, you know, be away from my wife and my kids. And it wasn't a situation where I could move them up to Canada. They were still in school and I wasn't there long enough for them to have to come, you know, so I was seeing my family rarely here and there. Um, but that last year in Toronto, like I, throughout my career, I had dealt with, a, you know, a couple, sorry, my daughter's talking you're good, yeah. you're good, man. Okay, you're good. I'll, I'll come, I'll come, I'll come, baby. It's a great, um, perfect timing for that, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I, I had dealt with concussions, you know, uh, you know, you don't really know when you're in college at that time, you didn't know because the concussion protocols were different, but I dealt with them some in college and then in the NFL. And then mostly while I was in Canada, I had a few concussions. So that last year in Toronto, you know, I, I was doing really good, but I had a concussion around that last game I had. And then I got released from Toronto uh, after a practice. And then, you know, I kind of came back home and had a discussion with my mom and my wife, like, hey, uh, you know, you want to have your health or do you want to keep trying to pursue this dream and traveling back and forth and, you know, not being with the family and it's not a chance you'll stick around or maybe you will or not. And man, it, it was kind of a tough pill to swallow to understand like, yo, it's kind of coming to an end for you, man. Like, and yeah, as a football player, you understand when you put your whole life into something, man. I've I've been playing football since I was five years old, and ah man, it almost brings me to tears. Of, you know that moment of knowing, like, hey man, it's time to hang the cleats up. And uh, you know, uh, I think that was 2014 was my last season, and I knew then, like, hey, it, it, you know, it's probably over it for you. Uh, but you know, I had a great run, and enjoyed all the times I had in all the places I was, mainly in Louisville. Uh, and I was blessed enough to, you know, be 1% of the world at one time to play in the NFL and then going to play in the CFL. And, you know, I can't complain. I played five years professionally football and not a lot of people can say that. So um, I appreciate the opportunities and the blessings that God has given me. You know what I mean? So it's it's crazy, uh, man. You never really know when the last time you take your pads sure, off are. You sure. don't really understand that stick because you hear it from the yeah. time you're probably six years old until – I heard it up until I was in college. Right. But you never know. And it never really sets in right. until you do. And I'm, I've turned into that guy. And yeah. You've asked what I've been doing. Mainly I've, I'm, I'm a married man. I've been, you know, uh, married to my wife. We have three beautiful children. My wife, Anne Marie, um, have a son, Elijah, daughter, Naya. And my, my baby girl just came to the door. Halo Marie. Um, I've, I've been here in Florida with them uh, enjoying life. Uh, I work at a mental health facility for children. Um, I've been doing that now for about nine years, uh, working with these kids who have developmentally disabled 
who are developmentally disabled or have disabilities or some kids that have conduct disorder, but uh, 24 hours, seven days a week, those kids be there. Uh, God has blessed me to be in their lives and give back to them and, you know, be a pivotal part of their lives. A lot of kids who people are giving up on and, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I'm, I'm a program manager at, at that place. And, you know, I, I enjoy doing that. And I also, where I get my passion, the passion that I have suiting up in a Louisville uniform or a Panthers uniform or Montreal or Toronto, I'm now the office coordinator at a school here in Melbourne, Florida called O'Galley High School. And I'm fiery. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy doing it, man. I, that, that's where I, that my passion still burns for the game. And I, I, you know, I try to give my guys back as much knowledge as I can about this game and help them understand that this can change your life. But I am the guy that tells them, hey, play every down like it's your last because you never know when it's your last down to play this game, man. And this game can change your life. So that's, that's what kind what of I offense mean. are you running down there, man? You bringing a little bit oh, of the coach piece there down there? Turn that thing around, man. <laughs> like, you know, my first year, I tried to do a lot of things like Coach P, but you know, football is a little different now. So I give credit to this gentleman, Pat Ross. He's actually the uh, he's the NAIA head coach at uh, uh, Graceland in Iowa, the Graceland Yellow Jackets. But he taught me the RPO, and I've nice. been trying to perfect that as much as I could and you know I can and about a, f- a few years ago we we made a run for a state championship but we ran into American Heritage I don't know if you guys ever heard that school down in Florida but they yeah. got studs man but we ran into that team the game before the state and we you know we we're just a little old school in Melbourne Florida and you know we fought hard and we've been we've been doing some good things over there man and, and getting guys into college and um in the past five years we've probably sent 12 kids, Division One football, big-time programs in at least 19 or 22 college. You know what I mean? That's so, awesome, And that, that's what it's about. And I, I keep telling my Louisville guys, hey, I got some studs down here. There now. you go. Yeah, you got to hit up Brian, man. My, you know, I, hit, I hit Pete up all the time. Like, hey, do you missing out on some guys down here, man? We, You know, we, we got a good group of uh, uh, sophomores who will be juniors this year that we got an uh, opportunity to run for a state title, man. So – I've been excited about this coaching thing, man. It, it just, it, I'm passionate about it and I, I take it serious like like I did at, when I was playing. So, yeah, you, know man, who runs you guys the, look, look out for us. You know who runs the most beautiful RPO that I absolutely hate is Wake it, Forest. Yeah, yeah, because it's, it, it's so slow. Yeah, man. the walk up, man, so dancing on the way yeah. up. Yeah, at high school level, you can't do it like that. Like, they don't have patience, man. You got to get it out. But Wake Forest <laughs> runs that thing to perfection, man. But like I said, I give Pat Ross a lot of credit of, 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 of you know, I, I understand how to – I understood how to play the game of football, but I didn't understand what it took to be a coach and, you know, coaching football. It's two totally different things. And Pat has taught me how to do that. And, you know, I'm continuing to to progress. I'm not saying I'm the best or great or I'm a Bobby P, but I aspire to get to a point at that time or maybe one day they come back and do some things for Louisville, man. You know what I mean? Yes, please. Yeah, Yeah, yes. Yeah, Yeah, man. I mean, that that team, 06, 07, there's some coaches out there, man. You're talking about Greg Greg Scruggs at Wisconsin. Yeah, that's my boy. Richard Ragland at Kentucky Christian. Yeah, Will's out of Oregon. Yeah, Will's in Oregon. Yeah, it's crazy, cool, man. There's, man. Some, there's yeah. some coaches in there. And I keep in touch with all those guys, man. I talked to Will a few times. Raglan has been asking about some of my boys. Uh, Scruggs is actually recruiting one of my D tackles. Oh, he's a D tackle DN, but he's he's the number three uh, D tackle in the country right now. He's uh, Brandon up. Brown. So Wisconsin is uh, recruiting yeah. him right now. So yeah, he's great. Louis- he's about to stop that, man. Yeah, he, was actually, he actually was at Louisville um, two weeks ago. He was at Louisville okay. after our, we had our spring game. 
the next day he drove up to Louisville. So I love it. You know, man. All right, we'll let you back in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, hey, man, I can recruit now. I can That's get some so guys sad, up here. The last bit of the show here. This is one of my favorite parts: rapid fire questions, where we just all try right. to come up with the the silliest things that we can ask you uh, over the course of a few minutes. And and the quicker you can come up with an answer, probably the better here for the audience. We'll jump right into right. this. I think I know the answer, but what is your favorite U of L kick return or punt return? If somebody, I think like, you think you know. But what is it? Know. Let's hear. What is so, it? So of course, the West Virginia one is one that was my first collegiate okay. touchdown. But the one that meant the most to me is the one in Memphis, the ninety-five yard uh, kick return back. That was my first game back returning uh, kicks after getting shot. Like actually, my first touch of the ball. Mm-hmm. after return kick and i took that thing 95 yards for a touchdown so that's that's probably my favorite you still got that football um i think my mother has that football go, so, yeah. real mvp gets the gets the trophy yeah, i love for sure. it for sure all right route you knew was either going to be a touchdown or a completion when brian right. said the ball. so here we go this is a bit of a long answer but i told you that clip that you showed early harry actually fell on that play but it was a touchdown so we would go empty and bobby's uh offense it was called bombers that's five receivers wide oh if we would God. get he didn't change we, shit you know what I'm saying? <laughs> if, we, if we would get man free in that offense he would call dagger so what dagger was was you know to uh to the formation side you have three receivers uh you, you, to your strength you would have a comeback with a vertical with a deep crosser and then to your two receiver side to the weak side you would have a deep crosser with a post that post that was coming from the strength side was a dagger which would confuse the hell out of the, the middle of the field safety because we were running against man free. It was a guaranteed touchdown every time unless Harry tripped and fell. So <laughs> a lot of Harry's touchdowns came from running dagger. He scored a lot of touchdowns on dagger, but that was for sure a guaranteed completion first down if we ran that play, if, if we checked to that play. Yeah, for sure. All right. So this is a real pinpoint for me because I, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not a football player, but Madden is where I get to show my craft. Like that's where I get to show. I know what I'm talking about sometimes when yeah. you're playing special teams, right? Some people uh-huh. just hit the quick sim and they go past the punt return and the kick return. Yeah. Are you a punt return, kick return, middle, left or right? What play All do you right. pick, man? Give so me the scoop as a professional punt returner. Straight off the top. I am a Call of Duty 2K guy. Okay. Because Madden is just too unrealistic for me. <laughs> I'll I'll give you that 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 just that point right there. And whenever college comes back, I'll probably play that way more than I play Madden. One hundred percent. But if I were to do it, I'll set up a middle wedge. And what what am I gonna do, Vince, when I run the middle wedge? What am I gonna do? As a returner. So far, it sounds like you're not following the damn wedge. I'm not following the wedge. I'm going to bounce it the opposite way. I'm going to run middle wedge, but I'm going to bounce that thing somewhere else. I would have been so pissed blocking for you. I just want you to know that. Hey, you know why you wouldn't have been pissed? Because I was going to score every time. You wouldn't have been pissed. You'd have been like, man, I've set up the wedge, but he scored. It is what it is. I got to get my block, bro. I got to get my yeah, crackback block. That looks yeah, that's still, what do you mean? Uh, hey, it's been just like seventh play of the game. Listen, it's always I always it. set it up. I would run directly to the wedge, but I wasn't going to hit it. I was going to bounce it every time. I would run to the wedge, so I was going to set it up. Who's the opposing corner in college where you were licking your chops and said, oh, I'm going I'm to torch this dude? Who's the I dude you? you know that. Anybody up the road. Yeah. Whoever was up the road, anybody up the road, whenever we lined it. up against those guys, even in the Craig Thorpe era, anybody up that road could get it, man. I am not even saying that team's name. Y'all uh, take a, y'all take a pulling away from the rapid fire for a second. I love how much pride that your generation of Louisville football players 
Tuck and beating Kentucky's ass. Yeah, like, man, that, that's what it was, bro. And but like, you know, it's tough our last couple of years. But that Bobby era, that's one thing he didn't do. He didn't lose Kentucky. <laughs> if we can lose every game of the season. We weren't losing to that school up the road. He'd tell you that flat out, you know. And you know what's even crazier is like we didn't have that bad of a blood with the guys. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> guys were pretty cool, you know what I mean? But yeah. it was just it was it was competition, man. Was, you know, up the road, you up the road. So we wanted to win that game. So go to touchdown celebration. Um let's see. I'm gonna probably tap the chest two times. Kiss the fingers, peace sign up to the Lord and the ones I lost, and then throw the X up at okay. Racer X for life. Cornerback in practice, you hated going up against. I wouldn't say I hated it. Yeah, we were all competitive, you know what I mean? But like early on in the career, Will Gay, because he was so savvy, man. Like that dude was just, he was nasty at corner. He was raw. Like he just knew what to do. He wasn't the fastest guy, he wasn't the strongest guy, but he just knew where to be all the time. He, he knew all the little the little tricks and trades and you know what I mean? The How to pull, you know what I mean? He knew all that stuff. And then later on, probably Johnny Patrick, man, like me and him had some battles in practice. I forgot about Johnny Patrick until yeah, I started yeah. doing research for this show. And I was like, yeah. damn, man, he's a third round draft pick. Yeah. I forgot about that. And he got, he got that year with strong, man. He got yeah. that year with strong. So That's that, changed, right, man. that changed everything for him. Final question. And we asked this to Lozo, but your what is your favorite Canadian football ritual or tradition that American fans don't understand or need to know about? I don't know if they really did anything that much different. I could tell you what my ritual was before the games or after the games. I, yes, I, I, I for sure, I for sure always made sure that I, you know, I had a great relationship with chaplains on both teams with the Montreal team and uh, uh, the Toronto team who helped me get my faith in order and you know what I mean understand how much is a blessing is to play the sport so I for sure went to chapel before every single game and made sure I got that in and then just after the games win loser you know win or lose home games our all the receivers would get together and have dinner man and that, that just built our camaraderie and you know built that brotherhood with those guys so I, I played with some amazing men up there in, in, in Canada and who I still talk to to this day well, this has been a real treat for us here, uh, a special episode of Where Are They Now from the Pink Seats podcast. Trent, thank you so much, man. It has, uh, it has truly been a, a trip down memory lane tonight, uh, and this is what the show is all about. So thank you for volunteering your time. And hopefully, man, we can get you up here soon. Yes. Get you yeah, to press sure, that big man. giant train horn, which I think is the stupidest shit ever, but it is cool to yeah, see you guys really. come back and do that. Yeah, man. Give those guys a shout. Tell Jeff and Brian, like, I would love to get up for some games. I know Miss Robin's still up there and Cole's oh, still man. there and Greg is back now. Like, so everybody I know is back in Louisville, man. It was a little different. <laughs> you got the connection now. Yeah, so I, hopefully I can get up for a game or bring a couple of my players up there and let them see how great of an atmosphere Louisville is and how much of great of a college football town that is. Like, that's the pro sport there, man. Louisville football is their pro sport, and that's the best. That is the best uh, city to play football in. Can't say it any better myself. That'll end the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, Trent Guy, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. Trent, thank, thank you, sir. Thank you, guys.